Welcome to KidTech, the podcast series about the people and companies behind the digital media space. Today, we're in Super Awesome's London office. Uh, I'm Dylan Collins. Uh, you might know me as CEO of this place and occasional investor in um, various digital kids companies around the world. Today, I'm speaking with Rob Lowe, who um, many of you will know as the Senior Global Director for Digital Consumer Engagement in Lego. Welcome, Rob. Hi. Um, you went from, and if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, from Nintendo to the BBC and then to Lego. And Lego seems almost like the perfect summation of, um, of Nintendo and BBC. How did, you, how did you end up in Lego? What's your story? Um, well, I, I think it fundamentally comes down to being quite a lazy person, where I, you know, I kind of knew back even when I was at school at university that I had to do uh, subjects and topics that I was naturally interested in, otherwise I'd probably just zone out and fail. So at school, I, I did my university did my degree in history because it was the only subject that I really had passion for. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be successful in my career, what do I really into? I'm into video games. I'm into making things out of plastic bricks. I'm into Doctor Who. I'm into cars. So that kind of just laid my career out for me. So I kind of I basically built my career out of my passions just to ensure that I don't fail. Um, so that, but there is some other stuff there. I kind of I really believe in companies that have a purpose. Um, the you know obviously they're all commercial companies, um, but all of them have a real sense of what they're trying to do. Something that isn't just around hitting the targets. It's also around trying to change um, uh, kids' behaviours in a positive way or provide entertainment in a in a different way than have done before. Um, and I think Nintendo, BBC, and, and Lego definitely do that. Um, so I've always looked for that in my in my career for sure. And you've been in Lego for how long now? Three, four, four and a half, four and a half years. Right. Yeah. And you're you're responsible fundamentally for Lego Life. Yes. So uh, Lego Life is probably the biggest single experience that we've built over the last few years. But also, I, I, also I mean, it's it's probably one of the biggest digital initiatives we've seen any toy company really engage in. I would say over the last few years. I yeah. I mean, we're surprised that it's actually you know we we thought it was going to be more difficult to. Um, make a success out of it to be honest and it's not been an unqualified success we've there are things where we've learned there are things where we've still um, you know made mistakes uh, we went too big around the launch of it made too much noise when it wasn't ready yet you know and wasn't it uh, wasn't really retaining kids and users in the way it should have been. Um, we've uh, really understood around how to uh, look at content and analyze the data and only you know really narrow down what we're actually working and isn't. At the beginning, we were just publishing anything left, right, and center. But let, let's go back to the very beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. of Lego Life. I mean, it, it, it's you know for a company that that doesn't have an enormous amount of digital DNA. It must have been quite an interesting conversation early on where you said, okay, we think we should build um, a digital social network for kids. Um, how did, can you walk us through sort of how that happened and what the conversations were? It was basically, we, there was a, a thought um, that we have an amazing physical system in play, but we have a bunch of disparate digital experiences that don't connect with each other. Mm. Um, and we're an amazing company at making all of our physical toys work together. Um, but when, if you took Lego.com and our apps and our games, they were all um, entirely separate. Um, there was nothing linked together. There was no journey for the kids to go on, no rewards for more they engaged. So the idea was let's create, um, uh, let's connect the ecosystem together 
let's have one kind of nexus and focal point for that, which is what Lego Life became. Um, and then let's have one ID system linking it all together as well to keep it safe. And that's what Lego ID kind of evolved into and is still evolving at the moment. Mm. Um, so Lego Life became the kind of hub for that. Right. But then we realized that, you know, we can't, you can't just create like an account system for a hub. It needs to have a reason for being. You have to have a reason for kids to go in there. So we started to look at the digital space for kids and we could see that, you know, websites were hemorrhaging younger kid users by the year our own site you know the adult users and the commercial side of it in the shop was increasing mm. but the amount of kids going on there was decreasing significantly as they went towards the app stores and YouTube to find the kind of content that they they'd previously found on websites and we can still see that trend already now um, so we were looking for something to replace that essentially that kind of depth of engagement with kids and we needed something to connect all of our experiences together and then we looked at the space out there and we could see that you know YouTube has a lot of kids on it um, but it's not fundamentally designed for kids so we thought we we maybe we should provide something that was um, that still had elements of um, you know UGC and kids being able to upload the creations they're proud of uh, we, you, know, you could see like Instagram and in particular Spotify, more recently TikTok, mm. you know, platforms where there are a lot of kids on there, but maybe it's not designed for them. So we thought, OK, there is a space there mm. for some of the older kids, 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, we have a medium that kids can use to tell stories. And, but they can only ever share it with the people next to them in the room or on platforms that are not appropriate. Right. So let's build one. Right. And uh, I mean, how long did you spend developing this before you announced? So I think you announced it public, publicly in 2017. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much launched at the same time. Right. So we, um, we launched, I think, the MVP of it in September 17. Right. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, and what, what was what was the development time like? On that? Uh, pretty well. We didn't we didn't get to the final final idea of it till quite late on. Right. You know, we were running behind on the business case as you always do, and um, I think the actual development time prior to launch was a pretty squeezed like six months. Right. We already had an ID system. Right. We already had an ability to upload images in a gallery on Lego.com. Right. So we had some of the back end services that we needed. They only needed improving. Right. But there was there, we had actually built it in a microservice structure that meant we could pull them in quite easily. Yeah. into one hub experience and I had to build some new stuff like the feed and the recommendation engine was all newly built for it and was there a big development team on it? yeah fairly big I mean we have quite a large internal development team in Denmark um, and then we have um, external support in um, locations like Poland and Romania where you can actually get really strong developers but maybe you know they're not quite as expensive as they are in Scandinavia mm -hmm. so we kind of it's really great to have some of the core developers close to us they literally sit next to us. You have right. the business and the product team look a bit like you have out here sitting next to developers. I mean, yeah. that's standard for a company like yours, a, a startup that's grown significantly, and that's how you would grow organically. For us in Lego, it's completely alien. Um, right. You know, you'd have the the business guys sitting in the completely different area. The developers would be in a shed somewhere. And what we've done is actually tried to copy some of the best practice from companies like yours and, and do that and that's what we've been doing the last year and a half and was it more when you were sort of um, iterating and experimenting early before you launched was it more around the core mechanics was it more around the UI what was what was the trickiest <coughs> aspect that you found in the development uh, the UI because we put it out to a few creative agencies to come back with some ideas and also our internal too 
and um, everybody came up with this beautiful 3D rich brick based experience with these you know this, this screen that could build this world that you right. could explore it was like a Lego Sims thing and we're like we're looking at it going there's no way that you can scale this in a, in a fast efficient way mm. um, we also actually we changed the development of the app very quite close to pretty close to launch from being in Unity to being uh, natively coded on iOS and Android because we realized that there's no way we could get the speed mm. that we needed with a Unity app um, and that actually flipped it all on its head and we had to basically recode it from scratch <laughs> uh, very quite close to launch so that was fun um, but it was, you know, for me, it was learning a lot around around that. Obviously, I came from Nintendo, and I understood uh, the the principles of digital product development to yeah. a certain degree. Uh, but being in the middle of it, to that sense, was was fun. Sometimes <laughs> when you're getting, and, and did you have a hard um, release date or announcement date? Or yeah, well, only the it? only the ones we get set ourselves in the business. So right. our senior sponsor on corporate management level, um, we'd already we said we wanted to launch in June. We realised that wasn't going to be possible. We went back and said, okay, we want to launch in January instead, mm-hmm. um, and in January 18, and he said, no, you, you can launch in September, but you have to launch. So we said, we then said, okay, well, what if we launch the MVP in the UK in September, we take the learnings from that, and then we globally roll out early in 18, and then he was okay with that. And also, that is the way you're kind of supposed to do it with a digital product. <laughs> so we kind of managed to retrofit best practice into that, and, um, and uh, that, that actually worked pretty well. But, you know, you mixing up the idea of a much more like, waterfall approach that Lego has for sure right. around our physical products and also some of the games that we release you know it's like you have a release date it's normally tied in with a new theme or a movie or sure. something like that and you you work towards that all the way back um, with this you know it was like we need to somehow fit in some of the agile DevOps style ways of working that are, that are more typical in the digital world into the Lego structure and that's been actually us really pushing that from a digital transformation point of view in the Lego group. I was going to ask, I mean, what, what kind of influence have you had on the other teams over the intervening sort of 18 months? Quite, I think, reasonable amount. I, there are certain things you can't change. You know, you can't, you can't change the fact that you, we have to manufacture plastic bricks in certain locations, get them in a box with a great building instruction. That's just going to take time. We can narrow the time down, right. but, um, and we can introduce some agility into our, some areas, but that's not going to change. I think that what we've done is show best practice for how do we adapt to the digital experiences around you know, what theme comes out when, what marketing campaign is happening then. We can say, okay, leave us to go and work with how we iterate and how we work in those cycles to have something to support that but you know let's not like don't don't give us a whole bunch of milestones we have to hit so i think probably the best example of that is the we just launched digital building instructions into Lego Life. So right now, if you scan a code mm. on a building instruction, you unlock a 3D version of the, the build. So you can actually rotate the build around, expand it, and, right. and zoom in and all the stuff. So we've always wanted to do that for a while. But we, we insisted on saying, we will launch 100 3D building instructions in 2019. And we'll launch 60 of them in January and then another 40 later in the year. We'll start now. Don't ask us anything else. Just leave it to us. Hmm. And we will find a way of making it work. We had to build a pipeline that goes all the way through to where our core geometry assets are stored. 
um, and then convert that into a Unity plugin that sits in the app. And there's a lot of a, there's a lot that happens in the middle between those things. And that's presumably for any physical sets that have been like historically released, or are you? No, to only for new, you? only new forward. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We only do because we release like 250, 300, 330 new sets a year. Oh, wow. So we t- we picked the hundred that we felt were the most appropriate for the digital building instructions, and then went from there onwards. Oh, what's what's the interaction been or the engagement been like on that? Pretty good. So we had like seventy um, percent completion rate for those that have started it. Mm-hmm. The amount of scans that we've had as a percentage is not quite as high as we expected. Um, you know, we have a range of when we've done anything like this before between one and five percent of products being scanned. Because obviously, once you get the box mm-hmm. and you get the the Building, what you want to do is build the, the thing. You don't sure. want to download an app. You don't want to scan anything. You know what you want to do is build it. So it's a bit of a change in behaviours. But we've actually changed the first page, of the building instruction that says download the app, try it out, see if you like this. And the whole point is we know that particularly younger kids, four, five, six year olds, they find the physical building instructions quite hard. They can't identify the smaller elements. Yeah. So on the 3D on the iPad, they can blow it up or on the phone as big as they want, find it, and they find it much easier. So for us, it's a real way to overcome the barrier of a bad a bad first build means right. a kid won't come back to Lego. So is that, is that more sort of a kind of a co-op experience with the parents, or is it on, the, on their own? At the moment, yeah. I mean, we expect the kids to, with the younger kids definitely. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be downloading the app on their own. You know, right. we know that the it's the parent that's going to be helping them with it. For the older kids, they will probably have their own device and have the ability to download like free apps at least on their own. So, um, but yeah, it, for the younger kids, it's a co-op experience. We're actually going to introduce a feature where a parent can have one device and the kid can have another and they can build bags simultaneously basically or the parent can co-build with the child at the same time so that's mm. you know it's on the backlog <laughs> right yeah it's a big um, ultimately when you started Lego Life and, and maybe now also were you intending for it to be a, a commercial platform or is it a pure community do you think about monetization or is that really in the form of of the bricks um, we've we've not I mean, we have discussed like things like microtransactions for sure, but we are at the moment the business model is this is um, a way of driving um, creativity, more play with the bricks. More play with the bricks normally means that kids want to buy more sets, and we can actually do quite a lot of analytical work to see the link between increasing activity on Lego Life and um, increasing consumption of Lego bricks. So at the moment, it's a way of kids getting more engaged with the bricks and, and potentially buying more sets in their household. And what can you talk about um, in terms of stats and engagements? I mean, what are you most proud of in terms of those numbers? Um, I think the, it's actually, the, it's not so much the absolute numbers, which I think are okay. I think we had 8 million kids in Lego Life last year, which is a reasonable amount. Um, that's up by about 40% year on year. Um, and then we had, um, I think it's the improvement. So our retention has, has gone up by 40% year on year. And the weird thing is, you know, you can't really measure Lego life by normal retention metrics. So if you measure... By normal, do you mean D1, adult-based? D1, or? D3, D7, yeah, yeah, right? Because right. It's, not a, it's not an experience that's designed to be addictive and, and monetize quickly. Yeah, so if right, you're looking right, at right. if you're comparing it to like Candy Crush or, sure, you know, sure. whatever, it's, it's not the same. Yeah. If you look at our usage, it's... Ex- when you go outside of the school holidays, it just spikes at the weekends. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's similar to Pop Jam as well, but it, it's a very—it's not typical of an app, right? Essentially, well, yeah, but it, it, it's not typical of an adult app. No, right. I mean, because I think yeah. you see the same kind of patterns 
in any sort of kids' digital mm. experience, right? It's, it's, it's vacation time, it's weekends, exactly like and that. And yeah, screen time is limited right. a little bit. But obviously ours in particular corresponds with Lego Play mm. because the whole thing is built around playing with physical bricks. I suppose that, that's, a, that's a definitive pattern that has emerged as opposed to... Yeah, yeah, and you can see and you can see the change in the summer and at Christmas and you, our spike is Boxing Day when you have this beautiful period where kids unwrap their new Lego sets and often are either handed an old iPad or get a new one for Christmas, right. you know, and that you get the two things come together where they get like um, a digital uh, piece of hardware and they have the Lego sets and they're like oh, what can I do on yeah. both of these things and then that's our probably busiest day of the year I would say um, and I mean sharing on sharing for kids digital sharing for kids social sharing for kids is a very very tricky topic because of what you can't do and, and that's sort of at the heart of every sort of social mm. and inverse commas experience how have you tackled that? Well, we're pretty strict. Yeah. I mean, we, we will always take the safest line as Lego. We won't take risks with, with kids' safety. Um, so we anonymize it. We, um, we moderate it. So we kind of triple lock it, basically, and we get parental permission as well. Right. We've just added in verified parental consent, um, a stronger form than the email, because uh, when, we, when kids register their sets with us, there is also now the option for them to be recommended other content based on what sets they own mm -hmm. so and that's it, within the lego life environment exactly within lego id oh, so right. so um so they can log into other experiences and can follow them around if we have the right consent mm -hmm. and what we have to do is be very upfront and open with parents um around how to verbalize that consent um so you know we're saying we are going to be using your kids activity in order to make recommendations to them and to you as a parent through other platforms like the shop etc um and interestingly the the percentage of that was higher than we expected mm. so we have 80 percent of parents agreeing to that when we thought it was going to be a lot lower mm. um so far but this is with a relatively low number who've gone through it yeah and, and do you think the parents are are understanding that those consent flows they get what's going on so it's, it's, I mean, it's a big wave of digital privacy information mm. that you've got to throw at them. I mean, it's something we always sort of see a lot of discussion about, you know. Well, I think, you know, with GDPR, there are certain rules, you know, and as Lego, our, our lawyers as well will, will insist that everything is unchecked and then the, the parent has to actively check it, you know, and read it and then say, yes, 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 I agree to this. The wording we use has to be, we can use wording that is descriptive of what it's doing. Um, so we don't have to use the word like tracking or, or profiling or things like that. They're, they're like, you know, if, if you said that, I think most parents would say no, but if you say we want to personalize the experience and make it better for your kids, then a lot of parents will say yes. So it's not really, it's not necessarily, um, you're not being in any way uh, untruthful, sure. but you are also doing it in a way that is saying this is actually quite a good thing, you know. But turn it off if you don't want it. Yeah, basically. And what I mean, who's the average user or sort of audience within Lego Life? Because you were talking about like, I guess sort of a like a, 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 an experience with the parents who's younger, but you're also you aiming slightly older. Yeah, and no, the, the the range is quite broad. It goes from six through till twelve, right. um, with the peak around nine, ten, eleven. Uh, basically, um, is the is the peak usage. Um, so we are also thinking of spinning off a younger app 
um, co-building app for the digital building instructions because right now we've put all the digital building instructions into Lego Life because that's the, probably the, the best home for it and we built the, the Unity plugin for that and mm-hmm. it's, that's how it works and the scanning technology is in there as well but you know we will probably uh, launch a younger one for kids that isn't necessarily ending in a social Instagram Lego style experience right. it's right. going to end up in something more appropriate for a five six year old maybe with more focus on the parents yeah. um, so that that's something we'll probably do later in the year and I mean that's that sounds like it's something that you've sort of learned and realized over over the journey across the last couple of years what are the top two or three things that you know now that you did not when you were beginning um, that's a good question um, I think to be more ruthless about things that aren't working right. so you know we we have a tendency and we still do it to add and add and add without taking away so we are you know we're kind of like okay here's the, so we'll be a mixture of new ideas coming in and looking at the data and saying okay well this is either not working or this is something we should add in but we you know we we need to streamline the experience as well so taking things away can be as important as adding things i think we were extremely worried about the constraints we were adding in um towards kids you know it's like oh this is we're not going to allow one-to-one chat we're not going to allow commenting on user-generated content or only through emojis we're not you know all this kind of we're not allowed kids to choose their own username they're going to have to you're going to get it anonymized we thought this was going to be terrible but we obviously you know as soon as you do it you realize that most of these kids actually haven't got social media accounts so this is their first exposure to something like this Mm. and secondly those kind of constraints breed a lot of creativity so you find kids using the emojis in really creative ways you have to be careful with that make sure they don't start finding ways to communicate with each other secretly but they um, they create the way they can upload pictures they actually create stories we're about to allow videos as well for the first time so that's a really fun moderation challenge interesting so, uh, so UGC video uploaded UGC video. video is going to be going up it already is up actually because we have the Movie Maker app right. that, that sits separately mm-hmm. that's going to be brought into Lego Life quite soon uh, it's a bit like Instagram where it's a separate app that links into the core app to deliver the, the movie. Right, right. But then when you, the, the movies will be in the feed and, and sure. visible, yeah. Um, so that's an even more of a, an interesting challenge. So I think that, and then the, the third thing, so I think the second, yeah, second thing around constraints can lead to yeah, creativity in a big way when you don't realize it and you should, shouldn't worry about these things too much. And then the third thing is around scaling is not easy. Do you mean tech, from a technology perspective or moderation? Human Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, we had some Amazon cloud issues when we first launched. We had more kids in than we thought. Um, moderation is always more expensive than you think it's going to be. Uh, we are adding in new technology where we are going to do image uh, recognition. So, uh, which is, is kind for of... For content moderation? Or yeah, for, it's basically trying to have a, a no machine. So that can it can auto reject anything that is blurry or has a child's face in it. I mean, our moderation partner does some of that already, mm-hmm. but um, but obviously if we can do it first before it gets to them, sure. then it's you know that, that takes away the bulk of the work that we can do internally, and then we can actually start using that to personalize the experience better. So we can say you know we can actually to a high degree of accuracy now say what it is the kid has built in the mm-hmm. image. This is a car. This is a dragon. This is using mainly Star Wars bricks, and then we can auto tag it without the kid having to select the tagging themselves so that's going to be really quite groundbreaking I think later on this year where we'll have a much more robust tagging system where it can basically say 
you know, to a high degree of accuracy, this is what it is, and then kids can navigate around so much better because yeah. it's not not relying on the kid to tag it, and they're very unreliable when they tag stuff. So, sure. yeah, that's sure. very very interesting. It reminds me of sort of one of those capture type systems where you have to sort of identify the bus or the taxi in the picture. Yeah, yeah. But you're sort of doing the. So you, I mean, I suppose. But hopefully, more fun. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's intriguing, and I didn't hear you sort of mention YouTube at all in 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 that sort of list of apps and experiences that you have there. What are you doing with YouTube, and where does does that fit in? to your ecosystem in terms of kids' social engagement for later? We, we work um, with YouTube to a high degree as a company. Mm. Um, we use it for advertising to uh, an, audi- an older audience. Yeah. Um, we work with uh, family influencers and adult influencers, but we don't work with influencers. Mm. Um, so we are kind of ensuring that you know, YouTube is used to address the audience that YouTube is designed to address. Sure. So we are not using it to address kids of a younger age. We, we direct kids towards our own channels to do that, mm. uh, where we know it's safe, we know it's designed for that. So YouTube YouTube, for all its strengths, is an adult-focused platform, and YouTube for kids is somewhat preschool um, viewing platform, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, ni- neither of them are engagement platforms um, for kids under 13, or even under 18, actually, depending mm-hmm. on which country you're sitting in or what lens you look through. So that's how we treat YouTube, and there's huge opportunities for us to use it in that way, but we won't use it um, for for the younger audience, for sure. I, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're building up plenty of your own video infrastructure in terms of players and everything else. Yeah, we have LEGO TV as well, which yeah. is our own kind of um, all of our LEGO content that we have on there that we can show for free will go on there. We obviously have um, distribution deals with various mm. platforms and channels throughout the world that are exclusive, but we also have a lot of content that then gets lapses out of that, and we also have the rights to show some on our own channels um, so we'll show that on Lego TV as we will start to allow user generated content videos kids will start to be able to mix their own content with professionally made Lego content on Lego TV mm. and that'll be interesting so you can see stuff that kids have made alongside stuff that we've made or AFOLs like adult fans have made mm-hmm. as well which will be great so you'll have a much richer um, environment of content there as well which I is mean really you're really describing sort of a, a very rich and sort of multi multimedia platform and that's being built out. I mean, it, it sounds like there's there's a real plan at scale that is here for Lego to do this. Yeah, is that? I mean, is 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 that the case, or is this sort of a number of different it, initiatives it, that happen to have aligned? It's a very much the case. Mm-hmm. We're, we're building this digital ecosystem. We've all this has always been the plan. Um, we're actually, you know, with our ID system, we're going to start connecting it into we already have into our product apps and our gaming apps. Yeah. So that kids, if you go into a Star Wars app right now, um, the Lego Star Wars game, mm-hmm. you can take a three D screenshot of that and upload it straight to Lego Life without doing anything uh, it doesn't require moderation because it's from an in-game source sure. right so it's like a mini version of what you can get on PlayStation with the screen grab and that kind of stuff um, and then on Boost which is the robot that you can code like the basic coding system um, you can actually share the sequences of code that you have through Lego Life with your friends on Lego Life so you can say this is what I made the robot do he did a 360 and then farted and then you can download that and make your robot do the same thing so this is the kind of start of that. So that, so it all links together. So the videos go on Lego TV and the code goes on Lego Life and it all shares. So, so, so do, you, do you think of yourself almost kind of as akin to, to everything that Facebook built in terms of social tools for developers? But in a kid safe and in, in sort of a, in a kid tech way, is that how you're? In thinking? A, yeah, in a Lego way. In a, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you know we we know that you know we're not going to be uh, necessarily creating something that is integrate with our competitors or you know that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know we're lucky, I think, with Lego to have the strength of brand and the yeah. size of audience yeah. that we can 
create a pretty credible digital ecosystem that can be thriving just based on the audience we have and the audience that we want to bring in. Uh, you know, the, a challenge for us is how do we create something that's appealing for kids who aren't into Lego right. to get them in. Mm. Um, Lego TV does that to a certain extent because it shows a lot of the universe building content, the TV shows that we have. Mm-hmm. That's often a way in um, right. for kids. But we are thinking about you know how do we create a platform that can introduce kids to Lego building and the system and and show it to them for the first time and you know so that that's that's a challenge for us in the future basically so d- d- at some point i mean you said you're not going to sort of license it or share it with any of your competitors do you think about sort of the broader um kid developer community or app developer community like what how does that go go five years down the line uh, where, where are you on this yeah i mean we, we do work with a lot of partners i mean if you took any most brands out there that appeal to kids whether it's like batman or star wars or you know minecraft um, many more coming down the line you know you we we have some form of relationship right there so you know we do work with Disney and Warner Brothers and those guys mm. pretty closely uh, we already have their a lot of their content on our platforms so you you know we, we, we have spoken to Disney around would we just have Star Wars content on the platform as opposed to Lego Star Wars mm. up until now we've said no but that could be something we do in the future as well so is Lego becoming a digital media platform is no 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 no, no. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that because I'll get I'll get my hand slapped by my superiors if I say anything like that because that's certainly not the, the strategy um, we're building it for Lego kids yeah, around yeah. the system in play yeah um, but and actually, you mentioned um, something about um, you know the age of a child earlier, uh, in terms of sort of you know what age you can be to have an account on YouTube. And with GDPRK, obviously, the age of a child has kind of moved from from a, from a digital privacy perspective from sort of thirteen to, to anywhere up to sixteen across Europe. Yeah. Do you how do you deal with that sort of shifting landscape of, of digital privacy? I, mean, I think we're gonna we are going to move to under eighteen. Are really, you really? Yeah. And is that a global thing or will that be Europe? Uh, that will be global. So we will always wow. take the the most extreme case and, and treat that as our norm. Right. So previously that was copper, yeah. now it's GDPRK. Uh, and if there's any kind of loose area, we'll go with the highest option. So that's why we're looking to go under eighteen. Um, the other reason actually is you know the fact is that when kids reach 12, 13 years old, they find other interests that aren't Lego. Right. In, in a very you know they go out they have fun do all sorts of other stuff some of them come back to Lego in their 20s and 30s because it's cool and they want a Millennium Falcon on their desk and they yeah. want to display Lego up you know and it becomes something you know that's like becomes showing your personality um, but then uh, but that what, what we call the dark ages are like between essentially like 12, 13 and like 21, 22 so for us you know whether it's 16 or 18 probably doesn't make too much difference you know right. in, from a user point of view because they're probably not going to be playing with Lego so we think well, well why would we suddenly want to say push it as hard as we can why don't we make it as safe as we can um, mm. and also the fact is that teenagers aren't um, adults yet mm-hmm. and they are still trying to work out who they are and what what they believe in and they don't quite understand necessarily what is safe and what's not I mean you see all sorts of horrible stories these days around how social media can influence teenagers in different ways so you know we we don't want to be um, allowing kids to be exposed to that any younger than they need to be so right. that's that's why we're taking the older um, and you, I mean, that, that was make for some challenging conversations with sort of all the various partners that you interact with, because most of the partners, certainly sort of over 13, or who are dealing with an audience over 13 or 16, are thinking about sort of a data-first approach to everything. Do you find yourself doing a lot of education about sort of... Yeah 
kid tech and zero data and, and, and carbon engineering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anonymization is, you know, our lawyers are like, what? why do you need to know? Can it? Why do you need right. to know? And can't it be anonymous? The first two questions that we talk about in any right. kind of situation around data and, and legalities and everything. And then there are scenarios where we do just need to know who it is and then we need the permission. Right. Um, so obviously we do, we do, we have like anonymized recommendation engines um, and we have a data lake that we throw everything into, you know, and we, we know exactly how far we can anonymize it before we can use it, etc. Right. So, you know, we, we're pretty, um, yeah, we're obviously extremely compliant on that side. Um, but yeah, so we are, we, we, we always take the safer line, yeah. I would say, is our approach to that. And, uh, and that means compromises. And how, um, you, met, you, you talked earlier on about um, scanning the codes from, from the new packs, or a lot of the new the, the mm. packs that are going out. I think a lot of toy companies have struggled to make digital and physical work together. How far do you think you can, you can, you can really push that in terms of the integration of the physical and the digital? Where, where, I guess, where else would you like to go that you haven't yet? I think that the difference with this one is that we're not trying to have competing play patterns. So we're not like trying to say where we've, where we've gone a little bit in the past with like Nexonites and Fusion was you have a gaming app and you have the play experience for the sets yeah. and the two are almost competing for the child's attention. What we're saying on this one is when you scan the code, you get a better way to build the set. And then with Lego Life, you have a way of sharing the set and then getting inspiration on what to build next. So it's a com- uh, it's a complement to building. Yeah. It's not a competition for it, or it's not something right. where you have to choose one or the other. So that that makes it a little bit easier to fit into the the overall ecosystem of that. There, we're also trying to look at ways in which we can bring the sets to life in different ways using new technologies like AR, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know there's plenty of that in works at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you know we've learned a lot of lessons from the likes of Lego Dimensions um, and Nexonites and those things. You know we've had a few successes and, and quite a few failures as well. And I think the failures are more important to us than the successes in this space. Um, so we know what not to do again. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I, I suppose on, on that topic, and, and just to sort of round it out. I mean, you work in, and, and Lego works with a lot of game developers in terms of of um, products and co-branded um, games that are being built. What do game developers who haven't worked in the kids space learn for the first time when they start to work with titles <laughs> by kids? They they learn about VPC uh, <laughs> is the first thing they learn, and then they you know there's always this push pull scenario we're going through a little bit now at the moment around the account system around you know can we allow kids to play together in an old world that they've created right. uh, co-play you know mm-hmm. and run around. Um, and the answer is no, unless they know each other in real life, you know, and then, then we're like, okay, if they know each other, how can we prove they know each other in real life? And actually, we, in some cases, we've had to adapt our ID system to fit in with some of the demands from the game developers as well. Some of them are like, I just want my user, my game player to be able to choose their own username mm-hmm. so they can reflect a similar one to that they have on Fortnite or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Then we have to say, well, if they're playing a Lego game, they're probably younger than a Fortnite player. So maybe they don't mind if they don't have their own selected one. So it becomes a bit of a push and pull between our Lego knowledge and their gaming knowledge. And we just try and compromise in the middle a lot of the time. But it is, you know, the, the Lego games do skew older than the sets normally. Right. So we have to kind of take on board a little bit of their feedback, a little bit, you know, obviously, like Lego Incredibles is a great game for younger kids to play mm. but um, some of the other ones like Lego Worlds do skew a bit older as well so. yeah. and uh, how do you think the definition of play is evolving um, over the last few years I mean I think a lot of toy companies historically sort of 
looked at, at play as, as equating to toy. I mean, you sort of, you know, you've covered a lot of different areas mm. that LEGO is looking at here. Do you feel that sort of the concept of play is extended into anywhere that you're not operating in at this point? Um, I'm sure it has. I'm sure there are. You know, we don't, we can't do everything. We can't, we can't tick every box. I think for us, what's most important is the idea of learning through play. Mm. So, and that doesn't just mean education. People sometimes think that just means, you know, like you're learning something academic through play, but actually it's learning all different types of life skills or social etiquette or role playing. And of course, construction and creativity, you know, for us, there's something nutritious about Lego play fundamentally, you know, any type, whether it's following the building instructions or doing something with the big pile of Lego you've got in the corner. So, you know, for us, that is our area of play and that's what we want to be a force in is is that kind of nutritious play that that is where kids can learn and and feel like they're really kind of expressing themselves um that's where we want to work that's where we want to live and and, and grow basically but the, the, the phrase nutritious play is quite it's quite a lovely one yeah uh, yeah it sort of it, it sort of epitomizes a lot of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things um excellent well Rob Lowe um, Senior Global Director for Digital Consumer Engagement at LEGO. Thank you very much for joining us on Kid Tech today. Thanks, Dylan.